It's drawn from our psalm, but before we turn to Psalm 47, I want to read another song. It's not exactly a psalm, but it is a song, and it's a fairly famous one, and it asks you to imagine a certain number of things. So let's enter into its questioning before we turn to our own divinely inspired song. Imagine there is no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood of man. Okay, let's imagine. John Lennon said to imagine that world. So let's do that. Uh, What would that world really be like? There is no heaven or hell. There is no religion Um, there's no nations, and there's no authority, and there's no private property. That's what he said, right? I mean, I read it. So what would that world really be like? No authority, no nations, so no police, no military, uh, no law, because that's rooted in nations. There's no God to direct, uh, and there's no heaven or hell which means that life is momentarily and then comes to an end, what would that world really be like? Would it be like what he is imagining it would be like? Because he has language in here where he clearly tells you what he imagines it will be like. Everybody will be living for today. There will be a brotherhood of man. Nobody will be killing other people people, uh, and everybody will be perfectly happy to have no private property. We will share everything in common. He imagines this will be utopia. Is that what would happen? Probably not, I don't think. And the problem, uh, besides some of the deeper theological ones, besides some of the metaphysical ones, uh, the problem would fall down on human nature. It would fall down on who we as human beings are. When the Apostle Paul describes what human nature is like, uh, he does so as a summary in Romans chapter 3, and In Romans chapter 3, he draws a lot of quotes from all over the Hebrew Bible, but mostly from the Psalms. There's one from Isaiah, there's one from Ecclesiastes, but most of these quotes come from from various places in the Psalms. What then? Are we better than they? And the reference there is Jew and Gentile. He's brought the entire human race uh, under his his, uh, view. Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, 
There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is no one who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Would you say that this is a fair assessment of human nature? The average reader who is unfamiliar with God, unfamiliar with his scriptures, would probably not say yes. They would say, this seems over the top. I had an experience of that when I was early in the faith. I remember reading Psalms and reading the various statements about human nature and thinking to myself, this is way over the top. Uh, The people I know tend to be fairly nice people. I mean, generally, uh, people do bad things, but, you know, this just seems like it's, it's way, it's hyperbole, it struck me. And then I began to look at human history, and I began to look at what was really happening around me, and then I actually began to look at my own inner life and the things that took place mentally and emotionally inside of me, and then I realized that these dark, evil things that are crashing around in me are actually crashing around in every other human being, And I became amazed at really how understated the Psalms had put it. Because it really is a very accurate picture of what it means to be human. And if it is, if it's existentially clear that man is this, then if you imagine the world that John Lennon tried to imagine, you really can't do it because it goes completely against the human beings who would live in it. You would have people hiding in their house with a pickaxe, hoping that the mob didn't burn down their house and take their stuff. I mean, that's what it would really be. But let's do some more imagining. We've already done a little. So let's imagine another world. Let's imagine a world where the law of the land, and the land would be the earth, where the law of the entire planet would be the second tablet of God's law, where uh, rather than imagining no heaven or hell, there's definitely a heaven and definitely a hell, and all of humanity walked according to honor your father and mother. All of humanity walked according to thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, Thou shalt not steal. So we definitely have private property because you can't steal if there isn't. But the law of the land is that no one is to steal. Uh, No one is to bear false witness against their neighbor. Nobody is to covet what their neighbor has. Imagine that world. What would that world be like? 
Well, at first brush, you would say, well, that would be a fantastic world, and it would be far better than John Lennon's world by any stretch of the imagination. People would be living in justice. They would be caring for one another because this is basically uh, love your neighbor as yourself. But that world has the same problem as Lennon's world. It's the vision of God for how people are supposed to live, but if you go back to Paul's summary of humanity, humanity isn't going to do that any more than it's going to do what John Lennon asked us to imagine. So this wonderful world of true justice, of true righteousness, it isn't any more imaginable than John Lennon's atheistic utopia. Imagine if the first tablet of the law were part of that world. If the law of the world was that everyone would have God as God. If they wouldn't make any uh, graven images. uh, If they wouldn't invent any gods. If they would uh, not take the Lord's name in vain, which means they would not speak in his name things that he hadn't spoken. If if they kept the Sabbath day holy, if we took both tablets of the law and we said, let's imagine a world where this is the law of the land, we might be getting a little closer because I don't think you can have the second tablet of the law without the first. Uh, You can't have people honor their father and mother. You can't have them not commit murder. You can't have them not commit adultery unless God is their God, unless they have the real God, you know, you got to have both of them. But even there, if you're imagining that world, even with the first tablet of the law brought in, you still have sinful, rebellious humanity. This may be the law of the land, but man doesn't match it. Paul says very clearly, going back to Romans again, The mind of the flesh is enmity towards God. In other words, human beings, as they stand, unconverted, here, there is enemy thinking against God. And uh, you're not going to have a utopia. You're going to have people like Paul's describing. So if you're going to have a world worth imagining, and it's going to be the world where God's law is the law of the land, You're going to have to have something more than just that. You're going to have to have some sort of action by God to really kind of invade this world. You're going to have to have an action of God where he comes in by force and makes the world over again into the image of a world worth rejoicing in. Because if you had a world where God's law was law, and people did keep it. Let's, let's imagine that they did. The truth is that would be utopia. If man were of such a nature as to keep those laws, and they were kept, now imagine what the world would be like. You really didn't have to worry about your neighbor. You actually could live in peace with him. Uh, you could know that what you have wouldn't be stolen 
You could know that um, no one's out there stabbing you in the back. You could know that no one's out there envying you. Uh, you could know that your neighbor loved God, you know, and, and served him. Uh, if man could meet that, then the world would be pretty much a utopia, right? I mean, it would. And even those who are lost and currently at enmity with God, if they lived in that world and were able to live there, they would be rejoicing too. They would say, this is a great world. This is, you might even call it heavenly. Welcome to Psalm 47. Because that's what the psalm is actually about. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read it from the New International Version because I think the original New International Version gets the the spirit of the psalm even better than the New King James. Listen to it as it's read. Clap your hands, all you nations. All you nations. Not not the people of God, not, not the church, not Israel. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. So the nations of the earth are called to cry to God because they're happy. Joy may be deeper than happiness, but it is akin to it. If you're joyful... Uh, you know, you're not sorrowful. Uh, Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord Most High, the great King over all the earth. He subdued nations under us, people under our feet. He chose our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loved, Selah. So stop and think about that for a second. God has ascended. And amid shouts of joy, the Lord amidst the sounding of trumpets, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing to Him a psalm of praise. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on His holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble. Again, the nations. The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. For the kings of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. So, what's this psalm about? Well, it's about the world I was describing, and the world's come. At least it's come poetically in the vision of the psalm. Uh, They've been conquered. The psalm clearly says, all you people, all you nations, shout to God with joy, rejoice, because God has subdued you under our feet. And God has ascended on high amid shouts of joy, Uh, ascending on high is God ascending to his throne to rule. You should clap your hands, all you people, because you are so joyful. Uh, Shout to God with the voice of triumph. Most people don't have being conquered on their bucket list of something they want to have happen. Most people view being conquered as kind of a negative. But the psalmist is calling on everybody on earth, every nation, every single individual, 
to shout to God because they are so filled with joy, to clap their hands in happiness because God has conquered them. He has conquered them under our feet, our feet, the people of God. And this is the inheritance of Jacob. This is the glory of Jacob, as the New King James puts it. In the, the Pentateuch, in, in the books of Moses, God promises the visible church, I'll give you a promised land. It'll be a place where you can worship God aright, uh, the temple will be there, it'll be a holy land, uh, it'll be sanctified as opposed to the sinful world. Well, Psalm 47 says the, the real fullness of that promise is not a small piece of land in the Middle East between Egypt and Iraq. It's actually the whole world. God will subdue every nation, every people, every tongue, every tribe under our feet. And this is the real inheritance of Jacob. This is the fullness of the promise that I gave to Jacob. The whole world will be the promised land because every tribe and nation and tongue belongs to God. This will be our, quote, inheritance. We are Jacob. We are whom he loves. The psalm says that, and then it says Selah, which means you need to really think about this. You are the elect people of God. God loves you. And because he loves you, he will conquer the entire earth under your feet. Uh, That's a lot of love. But it's not quite as disastrous as it sounds because the people who get conquered are going to love it. That's either masochism or something very, very uh, profound is happening. There are some people who, when they get conquered, don't see it as a bad thing. Those are the people who, when conquest happens, realize that the conqueror is a liberator. When the Allies pushed into France in 1944, uh, the French people were being conquered, but they were rejoicing. They were just absolutely thrilled with the fact that conquest was happening. That seems to be what the psalm is picturing. You have a world filled with people whose minds have been enmity with God. They have been of a nature, an internal nature, that they could not live in a utopia Uh, But God is conquering. He is bringing the hurt. He is breaking in. He is literally conquering the earth. And people are now responding as if he is liberating them. And he is. God is liberating slaves. God ascends on high to rule the whole world. And um, this is really a picture of the Judgment Day, which has been a part of God's revealed religion from the very beginning. In the book of Romans, in chapter 5, there is a a verse that uh, has confounded 
interpretation for some. It is chapter 5 and verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Uh, where am I here? Uh, actually, it's 5. Anyway, uh, because I don't have it marked, I'm going to have to quote it. Paul makes the statement in Romans, he says, um, if this wasn't true, talking about God's being fully righteous, how then could God judge the world? And uh, some critics have said of Paul's statement, well, that sounds like circular logic. Um, you know, how could he judge the world? Well, we're talking about whether he would judge the world. Paul is talking to Jewish people who he is explaining the gospel of Christ to, and he says to them, you know, if God wasn't fully righteous and perfect, God couldn't judge the world, and these Jewish people, because they are Jewish people, will nod their head and go, you're right. I mean, I've heard from the very beginning that there's going to come a day where God will judge the world. Well, that's true. If you go back into the Hebrew scriptures, the promise of God's judging the world one day is there many, many times. And Psalm 47 is one of those places, this is where God will judge the whole world, people will stand before him and be judged, and you would assume that this would be a moment of terror for the world, but it's not. In fact, um, this is theocracy, and it's theocracy in a sense where uh, men are not spitting on the ground and saying, death to theocracy. There is nothing that the world absolutely fears more today than the concept of theocracy. The idea of rule by God, which in this current moment would be rule by clerics, rule by ministers. And I kind of understand why they're afraid of that. I've known way too many ministers to want them to be the government. But this is rule by God himself, and he's present, and it is a liberating thing. There's judgment taking place, but listen again to how it ends. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. The nobles of the nations assemble, and who are the nobles of the nations as the psalm comes to an end? The nobles of the nations assemble as the people of the God of Abraham. Now think about that. The kings of the earth, the kings of China, the kings of France, the kings of Uganda, they assemble before God on the day of judgment, but they assemble as his people. For the kings of the earth belong to God. Well, that's to be expected at a conquest. A king conquers other kings, and he will oftentimes put uh, his own people on the throne. But that doesn't seem to be what's happening here. It seems to be the actual kings who have, because they are just absolutely thrilled with the fact they've been conquered, are now literally the people of the God of Abraham. And it is the whole world. This is about as utopian as it gets. But it is based upon God's breaking into history, real history, breaking into history by his power, 
conquering the earth in a real way and bringing it under his sway so that all the enemies of God now rejoice in God and the world can be that world we imagined where the law of God is the law of the world. It is a utopia. It is a wonderful place. It is the sort of thing that men dream of even though they don't realize it. This is the fulfillment of all the ages. And the psalm leaves us there with the final statement that God is greatly exalted. This is the dream of all the world, even though they don't know it. Now, uh, you may be asking why I am preaching on this psalm. Well, it is easy at this moment to feel like we are living under the fall of Western civilization. Um, Our nation has become effectively a banana republic. There's no longer justice in the courts. Uh, We're no longer governed by law, yada, yada, yada. I mean, you know where you're living. And it's very easy to be discouraged and to let uh, the shadow of depression just fill over our heads. Uh, I'm not saying the world isn't suffering a pretty significant event, but the psalm assures me that the conquest of God is going to be fulfilled. There is a coming day in history, a real day, a day that will flow according to time where the conquest of the earth will take place and God will bring in his world regardless of what's happening right now. We are the people of God and at the end of history the people of God own the whole world and God has conquered the world under our feet and there is nothing that a a, a dictator can do to stop that from happening. He can bring the hurt, he can can persecute the church, he can uh, destroy all justice, he can fill the world with blood, but he can't stop the coming conquest of the world by God. It won't be stopped. There will be a day when this is the case, when all the world will belong to God. It's a done deal. The psalm is a prophecy and it's going to come true. It is, however, a conquest that is happening right now. You will notice that the psalm clearly shows God breaking in. This is an act of God. It is his power. But it does say he will subdue the earth under our feet. God is acting, but he is acting through his own people. This is in a section of the Psalms where this theme comes up a number of times. Uh, The the image of being killed is an image of being converted. If we were to back up to Psalms and we were to look at Psalm 45, we will read that the arrows of the king, which is the divine king, uh, they go into the heart of his enemies. He is conquering them, shooting them with arrows, but... In slaying them, he's actually turning them into his subjects. Normally, when kings slay enemies, they get turned into fertilizer. But in this particular case, 
God converts them and they become subjects. Well, that seems to be the same spirit here. Um, The conquest of the earth, the people being put under our feet, are not being trampled by us as a sinful man might conquer his enemies. This is actually a reference to the conquering of sinful nature and slaying the old man that happens when people hear the gospel and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're converted. God is going to conquer the earth under our feet, not with weapons of war, not with AK-47s, not with tanks, but God is going to conquer the earth by the spread of the gospel, and that conquest is happening now, and it's happening through us. These are both themes that I have preached on many times, but the reason why I have preached on them many times is because they need to be heard right now. You need to know that history ends with God winning, and nobody can stop that. And the way God is bringing that in is he is working through his church, and you are his church. His church is made up of his saints. He is conquering the world by the great commission which has been given to you every time you share the Lord Christ and the good news that is in Christ, this psalm is taking place. The conquest of the earth is taking place. And you are literally conquering the earth as men are brought under our Lord Christ, as they are converted to life, as their sinful nature is broken. You are conquering them, and they are brought to a point where they're glad it happened. I mean, God conquered you, and you're glad it happened, right? You clap your hands, you shout for joy. Well, that's what happens when God conquers the earth. And he is doing that through you. And, of course, this is a messianic psalm. Jesus made the statement, all the psalms are about me, and it's very clear that that's true. If you turn to uh, the book of... um, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus takes this kind of imagery to himself, and he says this in verse 31 and 32, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne in his glory. Now, In in Psalm 47, God has ascended on high. Jesus says, I'm sitting on high. Uh, You do the math. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. So what you're seeing in Psalm 47 is not just a reference generically to God. It is a reference to our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the God who will sit on the throne. He is the one who will judge the nations. But remember all that rejoicing? Remember people clapping their hands and being filled with happiness because they've been conquered? Well, you don't have to go to the New Testament to find Christ as the reason for that. You can actually step back into the book of Haggai in the Old Testament, and there, talking about our Lord Christ, in chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, we read this. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, 
and they shall come to the desire of all nations, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The reference is to our Lord Christ, and it defines him as the desire of all nations. See, their minds may be enmity against God, they may hate God as a category, but everything the human heart longs for is actually summed up in Christ. A sense of value and being, you'll find it in Christ. A sense of meaning, you will find it in Christ. A sense of hope, you will find it in Christ. Prosperity in all manner of righteous ways that can be defined, you will find that in Christ. The nations don't know it. In fact, they hate him. But every desire they have will be fulfilled in him and nowhere else. And so this conquest is a liberation like no other conquest has ever been. The Lord is conquering the earth to fulfill every man's desire. The Lord is conquering the earth under our feet that those we kill may live and may rejoice. And this is all in our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not be afraid, little flock, said Christ to us. For it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is what that looks like. 